Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. I'm speaking to Herbert Ewart of 101 Valecrest Drive. This is July 26, 1982. Now, um, your father uh, had a market garden operation. That's right. Now, where would the farm be located? That is at the uh, Humber Bridge on Scarlet Road, just below Eden Bridge. Now, how big of a farm would that be? It's, uh, it was um, 17 and a half acres of small green grocer stuff like onions, carrots, cabbage, cauliflower, we had apple orchards, raspberries, gooseberries, plums, pears. It was a nearly complete operation. Now uh, where would he uh, sell these? Well he had a, a a route that he covered as far down as Ossington and Dundas by wagon and horse. And he used to have his regular customers and they would wait for him. He used to cover them twice a week. Take them in, fill up the wagon, away he'd go to market and come back with provisions from the stores he sold. Now, was it a strictly cash barter operation, or was there any credit extended? No credit. Everything was cash. And I suppose if they didn't have the cash, they would barter and take a bag of flour in place of a bushel of potatoes. And uh, we never went hungry. We didn't have too much money, but we had enough. Now, uh, Dad, before he got on the farm, was a... a piano rubber at Heinzman's on Hook Avenue and it was killing him and the doctor told him he would die if he didn't get out in the fresh air and get away from the fumes. So he didn't know nothing about gardening and he started out there, him and mother, and he had four children, four boys, and they all worked on, we all worked on the garden an experience. I was only a kid and I didn't do too much work at the beginning, but I carried my share when I got in my teens. Now, would you have any animals at all on the farm? Or? Yes, we had a couple of horses, uh, cow, always had a cow or two, pigs, chickens, greenhouses, this is a year-round operation. It's a year-round operation. 
You mentioned you had cows. Would that be just for your own the milk for your just own consumption? For our, just for our own consumption. And in those days when I was going to school, I used to carry eight quarts of milk up to a route that I had on my way to school and sell them to these eight customers. Carried them on a stick, which they, uh, and the, also the eggs, which was extra money for the house. How much would the quart of milk go for? for them when you had your root? I can't remember. Very, very small. Five cents? Ten? Five, five or ten cents a quart, I imagine. How much would you make off of it yourself? Or is it just going to the household? Or just going to the household with the mother. She used to get all that. Now when was this, when was your farm in operation? What years? As I say, I'm not good on dates. You know, approximately, uh, 25 or 30 years ago, I guess it was closed down, sold to a development outfit, put in, I think, 70 some odd homes in there. Now you would have, the farm would have started up uh, around 1910 or 1920 or? Well, we had, I remember we bought a first car in 1914, a Ford. So we were on the farm in 1914. It wasn't a farm, it was a garden, a market garden. Um, I remember that thing. It was had straps on it and all brass and and uh, no electricity on it. It was uh, all magnetos and and uh, the headlights were the tungsten that you have to light. It was a doozer. Practically hard tires and wooden spokes. What as uh, growing up in the area? Um, what, what would you do as a boy for, for uh, games or...? For excitement? Mm -hmm. We had to make our own excitement. There's nothing that, nothing provided for us um, as it is today. We used to have a hockey team up in the old shale pit, which was on Scarlet Road at Edenbridge. And we used to go up there and clean off the ice so that we, we, we could play hockey or skate. And then at night we'd have uh, the girls in the area and the boys would get together and, and skate together with a big bonfire. No music or anything. Just this big bonfire. Then slaying parties. Oh, we didn't go short. We had a bowling alley we used to go to bowl on. Where would that be? It was in a little church on Humbervale, Humber, on uh, Scarlet Road, Humbervale United Church. thought at that time that it was better to have the boys and girls in a club at the church rather than going running around you know at, uh, on the street. Then we used to skate down to the Inner Bourbon Power Company or when it was frozen in the winter and raft down in the summer. This would be on the Humber River? No, this is on the aqueduct. There's, there's not enough water in the Humber at that time. But the aqueduct was always full because it was regulated. And that was 20, 25 feet deep, I guess. Now where exactly would that aqueduct run from? It ran from the back of the church, which is the north end of the park now, right down to uh, 
I would say the center of James's gardens. That's where the plant was. And that was a great big strip of water. Right at Scarlet Road was a an automatic, uh, uh, not an automatic, but a manual um, dam for the regulation of height, and they used to watch it. And another dam was up at the back of the church uh, for to uh, allow the water to come in or close off, whatever the height of the thing. They had to keep it at a certain height or it would flood uh, the, the valley out with the water. Occasionally there would be a break and then there would be a hullabaloo to fix the, the break in the uh, embankment. It was only dirt, thick dirt, wide enough that you could drive a wagon along it. Now when did that, uh, when did that aqueduct last to about? Well, they, uh, first of all, the valley, just at James, all that park is fill, garbaged fill. Now I remember they started filling that and it took them years. There was fires there every day. There'd be a new outburst of combustion from the garbage. And then they covered it over and made this beautiful park. Now were there any other, uh, you mentioned the shale pit. Uh, do you remember the who? The shale pit, yes. That was a big deep hole right alongside of the Gulf, uh, right alongside of the, um, the Humber Valley United Church. And uh, there was enough room for about two carriages to pass on the south side of the church, and then there was a complete drop, and on the little fence, wire fence, and then a complete drop about 40 feet to a deep hole where they used to get shale out of. And that's where we used to skate in the winter because protected from the winds with this big cliff around it, and it was nice clear ice, nice skating, we used to spend all our time cleaning up the shale pit for the skate. That was the biggest uh, part of the entertainment for the kids during the winter months. Now, would there be anything else like the shale pit around? Or is that the only sort of pit in the area? Well, there was this where I'm living here now. It was a, a gravel pit, sand and gravel. Darling owned it, and he developed it. George Darling. I assume that's what they call that road, Glen Darling. I guess named up. Did you play in the, in the sand and gravel pit at all? Or? I used to play here when I was a kid. I'm up here and, and pick violets for mother and also to sell and go uh, in the swamps along Sheffy's Creek. It was then known, I don't know what it's called now, Silver Creek I guess. But Sheffy's Creek was what it was called then and, and pick um, lady slippers, pink lady slippers, which were hard to find. And, uh, and also get uh, bracken fern, dig up bracken fern to sell in the town. Dad used to take them in when he was taking in the vegetables. I'd go and get maybe a dozen bracken fern and make a dollar or something. And Where would you uh, do all your shopping? West Toronto. You wouldn't think of going to Lampton Mills or Weston or? West Toronto, Dad did most of the shopping for provisions, he'd come back with it on his wagon. Is there a little general store in this area at that point, or? Not in this immediate area. Not that I can remember. The 
closest one was on the top of Lambton Hill, which is an ice cream store. And I remember uh, I used to play ball at Lambton. And uh, coming home from playing ball, uh, we'd stop and get ice cream and pop at this little little uh, lean-to in front of the man's house. Of course, in those days, there was no subway. It was just uh, regular train tracks. And you had to walk across about four or six train tracks to get over to Dundas from on Scarlet. And you say you played ball down in Lambton. Mm-hmm. Was that organized? Uh, organized balls. TABA, Toronto Amateur Baseball Association. We had a good team. Whoa, what was the name of the team? Lambton Mills. Lambton Mills. And who would you play against? Oh, we'd play against um, Sonny Lee down here. Um, well, you know where Sonny Lee is down here. And then we got into the uh, international division and, uh, and started to spread our wings. And then I, I eventually ended up playing senior ball down at the pits, Christie Pits. And Earl's Court Park, Goodyear Field, Viaduct Park. And we uh, then uh, covered uh, Peterborough Pete's. Kingston Ponies, uh, Oshawa General Motors, Goodyear Tire and Rubber, in New Toronto. That was the league in those days. And how did your team fare against Sailors? We've gone as far as second from the top. We we lost out to Guelph, and Guelph lost out to St. Thomas. That that was the highest I ever got in ball. Now, was there any other organized sports? Was there other than baseball? Ball seemed to be what I was interested in. Oh yes, there was uh, rugby. I used to play rugby, but and and I had a hockey team in Lambton, but I was never any good at it. One season I spent um, one year. I spent about three we three weeks over at Hanlon's Point, sitting on the bench or warming up the Maple Leafs. They, uh, some scout picked me up at Christie, and thought I was good enough, but. Uh, Nothing ever come of it. All I did over there was uh, warm up the batters, which is no good. What about what school would you go to? What school? Mm -hmm. The school I went to was um, Mount Dennis on uh, Western Road. And it was uh, approximately three and a half miles from my mother's house. But I used to cut back through the bush and the cow pasture over the hill and take a shortcut. I didn't follow the road. We had our own path to get to school, which is tough sledding in the winter because there's always snow and ice in the hills. And I still had to carry eight quarts of milk, which was a feat. Well, what about the uh, what about the school? What uh, Was it a one-room schoolhouse or was it? Oh, no, it was a big one. Well, how many? Miss Raymond was principal at that time. Well, I don't know. It must have been eight or ten big rooms, two floors. Nice big stairs. Outside was a big garbage box where you, it was run clean as a whistle. It was a good school. Yeah, the schoolyard is big enough to have a ball diamond on. You mentioned Miss Raymond. What what sort of a woman was she like? Lovely, strict but lovely. And I think she lived in Woodbridge. And commuted every day. I commuted to school every day. I used to do run errands for her when I was a kid. Uh, she was a good school teacher. Many of your uh, school chums uh, 
tease you about running errands for the principal, or is that, was that acceptable then? That was acceptable. You know, I used to get batted around just as much as any others if we were stepped out of line. They'd always say, this hurts me more than it does you. But now, it didn't do us any harm, believe me. Did you go on to high school? Just for a while up at Weston. Then I decided that I'd sooner go in for business. So I started down at uh, Shaw's Business College at the corner of Keel and Dundas. And I took the, all they had in the business administration, but not typing and, and um, stenography. I didn't take that. And then Tanton was at Dover Court and Bluer. Tanton was a su supervisor or the teacher at uh, Shaw's business. And he was talking to me one day up at, uh, at Keelan Dundas. I wanted to know if I'd come down there and work with him. I said, like, what? Well, he says, just uh, help me around. So I went down for my tuition. I took everything that Shaw's taught for answering the telephone, filling the zinc well, sweeping off the sidewalks, doing little odd jobs. Seeing the windows were closed at night, the front door locked. I was the first guy there in the morning, the last guy away at night. So I worked my way through business college. And the first job I got was at Ryerson Press, Corner Queen and John. I used to ride down there on a bicycle from out here. How long would that take you? I could do it in three quarters of an hour. That's down, coming back up. It's all hanging on to the odd streetcar, which is uh, illegal, but it was fun at the time. They were all open cars in those days, and it wasn't hard to get grab a hold of a rail. And I worked at Ryerson Press for 27 and a half years. I moved to Doubleday for 23 years. So I didn't have too many jobs, all on the same line. Now you've, you've that would be 50 years in the Canadian book industry. Um, what are the big changes you've noticed, or are there any big changes? I don't think so. It's a very interesting business. Some of the big authors that I had things to do with are, are gone. Cronin, Farnell, Ethel M. Dell, all big names. Now they're being taken place by Burton, so on. But Costain was one of our biggest authors. Tom Costain, Brantford, made his name, I suppose. Made millions, by the way. But he made his name, I suppose, by uh, the Black Rose. Interesting work. M meet nice people. It was a good life. What was it like living out here and working downtown Toronto? Was there, was there anything sort of coming home you noticed any changes or? Like a load off your shoulders? Mm-hmm. Well, I always like to come home. In my early part of my career, I was out on the road all the time. It was always nice to come home. Is there anything in come particular home. that would strike you? Well, I'd come home Friday and out Sunday night. So you'd have, uh, you could relax for a day start right back in the grinding and it was grinding and I same as it is you get you get nothing in this world for nothing nothing you work for everything you get 
Now, are there any other sports that you would participate in other than hockey and baseball? Oh, yes, golf. Played golf for years. Now, which course would that be? Well, I played them all. I didn't belong to any, only Big Cedar up at, uh, up at Lake Simcoe, which is still operating, and it's a lovely course. I was up there for 25 years, 27 years, I think. And I played there you know, on the holidays on and off for all those years. But I played Lambton, Weston, Thornhill, practically all the big courses. Now, how would you not be able to play them if you didn't belong? Well, uh, uh, you'd, uh, most of these you'd play with members or pay as you play. Like, uh, the, I forget the name, but now up here in, in Weston, that's where uh, uh, we used to go up and play. And we could play there for a half a dollar a round. Now it's seven or eight dollars, I think. But you go up there and then play a round of golf, 18 holes for 50 cents. And I used to play a lot of golf up there. On, on when I was a kid, I never caddied in my life. I never caddied, I never carried a club for anybody. But I used to sell golf balls by the hundreds. Because we used to get them out of the, uh, the Humber. There's a hole, I forget, it's about the fifth, I think, on the Humber, on Lampton, that has a, a belly of a river on the course. And they used to catch a lot of balls. As soon as they hit the water, the kids were in and after. Some we returned back to them, or the golfers, and some we didn't. And I had a complete set of clubs purchased by golf balls up at uh, up at Lampton Golf uh, up at the clubhouse. How much would the golf clubs go for then? Well, I don't know. It's sometimes it's five or six dollars for a nice club, and uh, it, you should maybe have to get forty or fifty balls for a good club. And then I suppose the pro at those days would sell them to the members. Cause golf balls even in those days were over a dollar. Then they used to have the odd tournament here. George S. Lines uh, was a pro. Uh, I remember walking behind the rope when George S. Lines, I forget how old he is, he must be gone now, uh, won the championship on Lampton. It's a beautiful course then and it is now. It's one of the best courses around. I'd go on, I'd play at night maybe four or five holes every night. Grab my clubs and hop the fence and uh, of course the, um, the man that was hired by the uh, Lampton Club to keep the kids off the greens, why well, I knew him well and uh, he used to let me play. Just turn his back on me. Let me putt out and really enjoy myself. But I never did any damage. That's why I got, got away with playing on Lampton. Are there many other kids that would be play golf or Oh, there was two or three of my friends that used to play, but they uh, it wasn't so intense in in playing as finding the balls. You'd, uh, we'd start out to have a two or three holes of golf, and uh, they'd disappear and be looking for balls, or I'd be playing golf. I used to find them in the reeds and in the Humber. And some of these kids uh, along Scarlet Road, of course, it was all sand in those days. You'd see a ball driven from up on number two, come over the fence, land in the sand, and those kids could bury it on the dead run with their foot. Then they go back after the player's gone and dig it up on the, in the sand pit. The, you see, all the hill on Scarlet was gravel and sand, and the balls used to hook into the, into the sand pit. Did you ever get caught by any of the golfers doing that? or No, we always had balls to sell. Anyways, always carried six or eight brand new balls in your pocket.
They used to be a dime. Get a brand new bulb for a dime. So they'd buy five or six, 50 cents for it. They were tickled, so were we. Because it was 50 cents we had. How did you, uh, how did you meet your wife? So. I met Nellie at, uh, at a church social in Lampton, United Church. It's down the street. It's gone now. And across the road was a grocery store, Phillips's grocery store. And was this on Royal York? No, this is on Dundas. Just, uh, just um, west of the viaduct on Dundas. See, there's no viaduct there. It's, we had to go down the valley and cross that iron bridge to get into Lampton. The viaduct's new. Taxi cabs, nickel. Nickel from Keelan Dundas to Lampton. Ride the cab. So we take five people, 25 cents. Drive you out, turn around, wait there. People hop into old put put Fords, drive you back to Keelan Dundas for a nickel apiece. They were a good day. Would everyone sort of, uh, all your friends meet their wives at, at church? Usually, church functions. How long would you... Uh, the, church, the church in those days was the center of the household, I think. It still is in ours. How long would you, uh, would you uh, court or go out with her before you, you got married? I think Nellie and I went together about uh, five years. Is that normal among your, your crowd for that length of time? Would you say the reason would be for the being, you know, for five, you know, well, that length? There's, uh, there's uh, I don't know, they all seem to, you know, it seemed to be set. I don't think any of our group got married in a hurry. They were all the guys like I was on gardens, fellas I'd chum around with, Earl Crate and Suggett. Suggett's pop was a cop, I think, on Lambton. Clayton's, Clayton was a put, all the names that's well known. Clayton's are still out here, a butcher shop out here. Now, what, where would you go with, uh, for a date? Did you go down to West Toronto or? Well, we used to go to a, um, a show and um, have an ice cream, take the streetcar at the end of the Scarlet and walk home. That was even. That would be down at the Mavity or Mavity Theater or Beaver? Mavity or the Beaver or the Wonderland across the road. That was a big deal. What sort of shows are popular then? Well, the, the one that um, the one that I remember as a kid, this is before I met Nellie, that I used to follow was The Adventures of Kathleen. The Adventures of Kathleen. Every weekend it used to end up where she was tied to the tracks and the train was coming and then will she or won't she? And we'd all tremble till next Friday to be whipped up and get 10 or 15 cents to get in. That was another problem getting the 10 or 15 cents to get into the show. You have to go sell some more golf balls then, I guess. You have to sell golf balls, or, or um, some of the kids used to work as ushers in the show to get in to see the show. That would be Saturday afternoon? Saturday afternoon, yeah, usually. Matinee. How'd you get down there, walk down, or? Sure, feel, uh, feel as uh, free as the air walking home, too. Pitch black, couldn't see your hand in front of you. Never scared. Nothing ever happened. I wouldn't do it today. Just wouldn't do it. 
with all the lights and protection. One thing I meant to ask was uh, earlier was about ice. How would uh, where would you get your ice from? The ice we used to get it from the from the shepherd. Saw it, bring it home by sleigh, put it in the ice house, which is part of the barn, and cover it with sawdust. And every time we wanted a piece of ice, we'd go down there and chip it out of the sawdust. That's used to last us all winter. Wash it off, wash the sawdust all washed off, and you have a nice gleaming piece of ice. This would last you into the summer as well? Well, it had to spring, and then as I say, we used to use the cistern. After, after the ice had disappeared, we'd, uh, we'd use the cistern and put it down in pails, because it was always cool down there. So you put your eggs and butter and milk down there? Mm -hmm. What about meat? What would you You know, the uh, meat, uh, we used to grow pigs, and um, I can remember mother and, the, and dad and the boys chopping up the pigs and putting them in barrels, packed with ice. And they go out in the, in the uh, we had a house that we used for apples. And we put, put these barrels of meat in the apple house. And it was pretty cold in there, but not, not uh, cold enough to freeze the apples because I remember they had a, a, a coal oil stove. And it was on low burn all the time. And there's just that little bit of heat. It used to have it just crisp. And uh, we'd have apples right through the winter, and sold them like spies, russets, snow apples, in these barrels. We'd fill a six-quart basket, put it on the wagon, and, and sell that. And the meat was in there because I remember them going out and getting roast and things like that out of these barrels, chopping it out with a pick. I can see them doing it. And boy, they were beautiful. Now you mentioned you grew all sorts of type of fruit. Uh, did you grow any anything like cherries or? Yeah. We had uh, we had uh, the, the uh, sour cherry, and we had the uh, Montmorency, and we had a, a white. I told you before. I think we had a white English eaten cherry. I don't see them around, but they're practically white, a yellowish white. They were beautiful. They're just as nice as the black ones. We had two or three trees of those: Bartlett pears, the harvest apples. The
Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month.